Our second reading will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the the battle is fierce around each and every one of us. We are tempted each and and every day. We are tested, and often we we seek confidence and security in all the wrong places. Lead us today to, to remember the only source of security, our Savior Jesus and his cross. Lead us to cling to him and to him alone as our sure defense, our only Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Where is God? There's a part of us that is pretty sure that if God would just make himself more evident, if he would just make his presence more clear, more often, there would be more people in these pews. We're confident of it. And we often think God should just make himself more evident to us. Why does he not? Why doesn't he show us where he is? Well, the fact of the matter is, as we often remember during the season of Lent, our God's presence is hidden. It is hidden in the gentle whisper of his word. It is hidden in the simple but sure promises found in baptism. It is hidden in the bread, body, and wine blood that we eat and drink in the Lord's Supper. God's presence is hidden in the means of grace. 
And that little voice inside of us hates that idea. Why hide? If you, Lord, genuinely want to be found, especially by the people who aren't here today, if you want to be found by those people, why are you hiding? Why not just come out from your hiding so that we can find you? So that those who apparently don't know where you are will find you. This hiddenness makes no sense to our sinful reason. Our logic hates it. Why hide if you want to be found, Lord? There's this very short account in 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah is right where we found Moses this morning. Mount Horeb. Everyone wants him dead. All the other prophets are dead. He is the only one left. And so he's taken this 40-day journey to this mountain of God, Mount Horeb, where the Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush, where the people of Israel went after they passed through the sea on dry ground, after Pharaoh's armies were drowned. They went to this same mountain where God revealed himself to them. Elijah, in his great misery and testing, goes there. And there's this great wind and this great earthquake and this great fire, but God is not there. Listen to these three verses from 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God is always teaching. And as he so clearly teaches Elijah and also us here, you don't want God to appear to you the way you think you do. You don't want him to cease with the hiddenness. You don't want him to be found the way you think you want him to be found. For God to reveal himself in that way would result in nothing but terror and utter fear. God must remain hidden, and he does. Hidden in the means of grace. Remember what that is? The means by which God brings his grace to you and to me, the gospel in the word of God and the sacraments, baptism, and Lord's Supper. God must remain hidden. He must speak to us with gentleness through his hidden, revealed self. And he does. God comes to us. His presence comes to us, hidden in the means of grace, the gospel in word and sacrament. It was no different for the people in Corinth. They had become Christians. God had come to them hidden in the word of God, 
where they were pointed to this cross, this Roman cross, where the Son of God was killed. Even for them, Gentiles, Greeks, Corinthians, even for them, Christ was crucified. They found peace in those gentle words. Christ crucified for sinners just like you, Corinthians. They were baptized into Christ, baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, connected to Christ, clothed with Christ's perfect life, his white robes of righteousness, made dear children of God. And they too ate the bread that is also the body of Christ. They drank the wine that is also the blood of Christ. They ate and drank forgiveness. They had all this gospel, this whisper of God's presence in their ear. And what happened? They found a false sense of security. They became complacent. They became comfortable with sin. And the Apostle Paul warns them against this foolishness by pointing them to other people who became complacent, indifferent towards sin. People who had God's presence. Only these people had God's presence in an amazing way. They passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. Walls of water on either side. Can you imagine? The power of God evident, the presence of God evident as he holds back the sea so you could pass through the sea. Then you get through safely, you turn around and what do you see? Pharaoh and his army pursuing you. Oh no, until this almighty God who is with you allows the sea to wash over them and they drown. You are safe. Or are you? Safe to die in the desert? Safe to starve to death? Safe to die of thirst? And that is when this almighty God who is very present, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire at night, he provides for you not just once every day for 40 years. Bread from heaven, manna, what is it? Water source, not evident? Here's a rock, I'll make it pour forth for you. The people of Israel had every reason to, be, to believe that God was favorably disposed toward them. Did they not? Who would do such things for us if he did not love us? Would he rescue us in such a miraculous way if he did not love us so dearly? Of course not. Would he feed us every single day if he did not love us so dearly? Of course he would not. He must love us very much. And so in the appearance of blessing, in God's evident presence, they took security instead of in the promises of God. Instead of listening to the words of God, listening to what he had said to their ancestor Abraham. Remember the four promises? You'll have a son. The son will turn into a great nation. The great nation will get a land of their own to live in. And every nation on earth will be blessed through one of your descendants, Abraham, every nation, through one of your offspring. At this time, only two promises had been kept. The son Isaac and the great nation, they were the fulfillment of that promise. They were on their way to the fulfillment of promise three so that promise four could be fulfilled and they didn't care about any of that. 
They were secure and became indifferent to sin, complacent. And what happened? Many of them died. Why? To teach us the foolishness of finding security anywhere other than Christ. Jesus teaches a similar lesson, but from an opposite perspective in the gospel lesson. There were people who saw tragedy, people who were killed by the altar, Greeks, who were bringing sacrifices to God and for some reason were killed by Pontius Pilate. Eighteen people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. These people who came to Jesus, they reached the logical conclusion as they looked at those upon whom tragedy fell and said, well, happened to them but not to us. God must be favorably disposed toward us because he shows tragedy to those who disobey him and then he blesses those who he loves. False security. Jesus, Jesus makes it absolutely clear that the presence of blessing in your life is not evidence of God's presence in your life. Just like the presence of tragedy in your life is not evidence of the absence of God in your life. Blessing does not equal God's presence, nor does suffering mean God's presence has been removed. God's presence is found in one way and in one way alone. Through the gentle whisper of the gospel. Paul warns us, you think you're standing firm? Be careful that you don't fall. Generally, when I preach here at Mount Olive, I am preaching to a room full of Christians. It's not always the case. Sometimes there's a face out there that I don't recognize. And I try to take that into account. Maybe you've noticed it from time to time. If it seems like I'm talking to people who are not Christians or maybe are not Christians, that's probably why. There's probably someone I don't know in the, in the crowd And I don't know if they've heard the gospel before. I don't know if they're baptized into Christ. I don't know if they know the blessing of Lord's Supper. I don't know if they've ever heard that sweet, gentle whisper of God in their ear, pointing them to Christ crucified for them. And so maybe I take a bit of a detour to make sure that they hear it here and hear it now. But generally speaking, when I preach here, I know the people in this room are Christians. And the warning here is for you just as it is for me. You know the presence of God through the means of grace. You know that sweet, gentle whisper that points you to Christ crucified for a sinner like you. You know the promises of God found at the font where word water was connected to you, body and soul, where probably as an infant for many of you, God convinced you just like a a mother convinces her child that she loves that child dearly long before the child can reflect, I know, mama, I know you love me. God came to you there and said, I love you. I care for you. And even as an infant, God convinced you of that truth, that he loves you and that he cares for you long before you could communicate it. And I know that you've come forward to eat the bread body and drink the, the wine blood that you've eaten and drank forgiveness. Watch out that you don't become complacent. 
be on high alert, that you don't become indifferent to sin. The gospel does not produce complacency, nor does the gospel produce indifference. This is impossible. It cannot be. If you find yourself thinking, eh, God's got me. It doesn't really matter what I do or how I do it. Watch out. Be careful that you don't fall. That is the warning for you and the warning for me. Do not take sin lightly. That is not how Christians respond to the gospel. I visited with a Christian friend this week. It's amazing how sometimes God brings the most practical applications of his word to you and smacks you in the face with it so that you cannot miss it. I was visiting a Christian sister who was lamenting the the suffering that she is experiencing due to a loss of eyesight and a loss of hearing. It is continually deteriorating, worse and worse, day after day. And she looked up at me and she said, Pastor, why is God punishing me this way? What have I done that he is making me endure this suffering? In that moment, this text that I have been wrestling with this week became, ah, I see. I get it now. And I got to share with her this sweet comfort that God does not work that way. He does not show us his presence removed by causing us to suffer. And he does not show us his presence by blessing us. No, he is found hidden in the gentle whisper of the means of grace. I got to assure this sister in Christ that God was not punishing her, but God was testing her as he is off to do. God crushed Christ on the cross. God punished her Savior as he did your Savior and mine on the cross. Everything that she had ever done to deserve God's wrath, everything that you have ever done to deserve God's wrath, everything I have ever done to deserve God's wrath, Jesus took it. Jesus was crushed by it. God has not reserved any punishment that he now lays on you and me. Christ took it all. Believe it. It's true. Jesus took every ounce of that punishment on himself. (laughs) This is where your security is found. Your security is found in the gentle whisper of the gospel, the gospel in word and sacrament. This is where your God is found and it is the only way it can be. What great news. What great news. The Apostle Paul concludes by by saying to us this simple, simple truth. Listen again. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Brothers, sisters, we are suffering in the end times. The end is near. The culmination of the ages is here. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Why would he give this warning? Here's why. 
no temptation, no test, has overtaken you except what is common to man. What this sister in Christ is experiencing right now is no different than the testing that other brothers and sisters endure. It may look different for you, for me, but we are all being tested in these last days. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. And that's why I want to close with that little parable that Jesus taught at the end of the gospel lesson. At the end of our gospel lesson, we heard Jesus, the one who stands between us and God's wrath, the one tending for that fig tree, say, hold off. Reserve judgment one more year. Let me dig with my law and turn up the soil around this tree. Let me fertilize and nourish with the gospel, with sins forgiven in Christ. And let's see if the fruits of repentance come from that tree. That's what this is all about. Our patient Savior holding off the judgment while we endure trial, ministering to us with that gentle whisper of his word, nourishing us that we might repent. What does that mean again? Repentance is that threefold thing that God works in us, where he first brings us to grips with the reality of who we are and what we've done. Yes, your sins are that serious. Yes, hell is real. You and I deserve it. Two, he brings us to grips with the reality of who he is and what he has done. I am not the God of the dead, but the God of the living who has come to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil whose son bore the full weight of God's punishment. Believe it, it's true. Three, He brings us to grips with reality that it is only through him working in us, through us, that we could bear fruit. Think, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? If a man remains in me and I in him, he might bear much fruit. No, he will bear much fruit. Jesus crushes everything that would try to crush us, even false security is crushed by the faithful presence of our God, present in the gentle whisper of the means of grace, the gospel in word and sacrament. Amen.